there, happy new fear, and welcome to Two Geeks Talk Movies. It's our first podcast of 2021. Also, our very first fan pick movie, which is The Green Mile, based on a six-part book series written by the one and only Stephen King. I am your host, John, and with me as always is my co-host, Joanne. Hey. Hey, so how was your festive break then? It was unsurprisingly quiet. Mm, yes, everybody's as I imagine quiet. your boss. Yes. Yeah, the, this whole lockdown thing was a... Oh, dear God, you know. Mm. Mm, I know. Mm. I keep telling my, myself we're well, one day closer to this all being over with, but the more I say that, the less convincing it's becoming even to me. So. Yeah, I, I can see this thing ending in about four or five years' time. Do you know that? This is a fucking joke. The way the governments are running this this world, we're going to be fucking just about 2025 for fuck's sake, you know. So. Hmm. No, I I heard today um that um they are planning to vaccinate the whole of Great Britain before the spring. Oh bullshit! So I was laughing so hard I almost cried. Bearing in mind they want to well they want to vaccinate all the vulnerable groups and I'm like Richie, obviously the elderly. And then those who fall into medically ill, so that includes myself causing my asthma and thing. And I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, there's no chance, no chance in hell they're gonna get around to vaccinating even me before April, or May. You know, when spring starts, it's like, you know, be realistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Let's put this way. On New Year's Eve, one of my neighbours across the road from me held a house party with about fifty people in it. And we're in tier four lockdown, so yay, stupidity, you know, it's like a fucking joke. But anyway, that was the festive period. Time for this thing. First thing I want to know is who actually asked for this movie, because I think I got that down in my notes. Um, It was actually, it was my older cousin, Thomas McConnell. Let me see. And he asked for a three plus hour movie, that's fine, I mean. (laughs) Mm. Anyway, have you read the books? Yes. All six of them? Oh my God. Well, the, the, this is what we were just discussing before we pressed record. The mm. copy I, mm. I have got is just under 500 pages long, but the whole book. Mm. So I read that. It's not separated into six parts, thankfully. Okay then. Okay then. Well, I haven't read the book, and this is my first time watching this thing, so it should be an experience. By the way, how many times? Have, uh, uh, again, how many times have you seen this? In my life, oh god, the, yes. I, don't, I don't think there's enough number for me to say. <laughs> I will narrow it down to I've seen it at least twice this week alone. Okay then. Okay. Then. Like I said, this is my very first time watching this thing, so these notes shall be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, this was brought to us by Frank Darabont. Uh, this guy also brought us The Shawshank Redemption and The Mist. Check our archives for that one. So he's on shaky grounds with me, shall mm. we say. I mean, I haven't seen Shawshank in years, but The Mist is one of the worst things I've ever fucking seen. So, hmm. Yeah, we weren't too impressed with that. We're, we're so, yeah. I mean, I, I didn't actually realise this was a Darabont movie. And so I looked up the director and I was like, that can't be the same Darabont that did mm-hmm. this. Because that movie is just terrible. I know I picked it, but for that week, but that movie is just terrible. Yes, and yes. It's a so joke. you look at that and you look at this and you go, this can't be directed by the same people. No. This is like, you know. 
a much Although, better movie and a much better class of movie when you watch how it being filmed and when you watch how, you know how it's been filmed and things. Yeah, yeah. Look like it was put together on like two hours notice and you know hundred pound budget just go for it and see what happens. Although to be fair, Stephen King was sat on the set of the mist and he couldn't change anything. So hmm, maybe mm-hmm. Stephen King let this one just go with it because that's a big enough bloody book. So maybe yeah, that's maybe. that was what. Anyway, this was supposed to star Shaq, but he was on starter because he's a non bloody actor. Also, it was supposed to star Bruce Willis as John Coffey, which. <laughs> wouldn't work because no. isn't John Coffin a book isn't he a black man yeah so how the hell could you cast Bruce Willis a white man to play a fucking black man oh my god but he turned it down to do Sixth Sense so Thank who for small mercy well yes I mean so Bruce, uh, what's that called uh, Sixth Sense is actually one of Bruce Willis's better movies so yeah. fair enough and it was his comeback movie so there is mm. that also apparently was it Buster Rhymes was supposed to play John Coffey? Out of some rapper. Oh my goodness. And I can't remember the, the rapper's name now. And that's going to drive me nuts. And people are going, I know the guy's name. is such such a name. But I can't be fucking in move on. <clears throat> uh, this is also one, only a handful of Stephen King movies that broke over a hundred million dollars. Did yeah. you know that? Mm-hmm. So, short the Shawshank did as well, and then uh, Memory Serves Me Right, I think Misery did as well, not 100% sure. Uh, one of them Misery. I don't think so, actually. I think that was a 96 million or 98 million or something. Anyway, uh, um, the budget of this thing was 60 million, and it grossed an incredible 286.8 million. Fucking <laughs> hell. That's a good return, isn't it? Yes, yeah, yeah. The cast is Tom Hanks, Michael Clark Duncan, David Morse, Bonnie Hurt, Hunt, sorry, uh, James Cromwell, and Sam Rockwell. Directed by, as I said, Frank Darabont. The plot: In a 1930s prison, a man awaits death for a crime he did not commit. The guards know he has a gift, but they are powerless to save him. Will the truth come out? And save this gentle giant, or is it going to be too late? Find out here. So there's a quick plot summary for a fucking three plus hour bloody well movie. <laughs> yeah. Um. <clears throat> okay, the first thing I want to talk about is why are the prison guards wearing uniforms? They were not a thing until the late forties. So why um, are they wearing it in the thirties? I. Because I did look that up, and that's one of the things I've got wrote down as well as uniform in the 30s. Wasn't there some basic type of uniform, though? It wasn't direct, it wasn't what is in the movie, and it no. wasn't what we know today to be, you know, any sort of uniform within a prison. Not that I've ever stepped foot inside the prison. Um, I, think, I think it was but, like the orderlies now, the white mm, outfit, the whole white uniform sort of thing. But, but I don't quote me that one. <laughs> I'm not sure. I think they were meant to be smartly dressed. But yeah, yeah, I think it was more that, um, I think it was more, you know, artistic license. Just mm. so they could easily identify prison guard from. Prison yeah. Guard. But yeah, it really, it didn't. I mean, this movie set in 1935. So yeah, they're mm. at least five years at five, six years ahead of themselves mm. on that, that one. Yeah, but... yeah, fair enough, fair enough. And Michael Clark Duncan was told to stop lifting weights because he was getting too muscled. So they told him to lay off the weights a little bit and put on some weight because it's supposed to be a 30s 
person and 30 men were not built like ship recruits they were yeah. big and chunky but not like muscled he also was told to stand on boxes to make himself look even taller than he is also I, the, mean, I mean was it sorry wasn't he about six foot push over six six, six six he was yeah yeah so yeah. wow he was also his bed was made to look smaller to make him look even taller than it actually was because yeah. apparently he's supposed to play seven foot plus giant yeah so hmm. so yes yeah, so yeah they're having on the behind the scenes standing on like boxes to look, look, tower above the other actors so mm-hmm. that one one thing i've noticed about this movie is it is very race um oriented oriented is it not? I mean, the very first thing we see as it op- the movie opens up is a white gang of armed men hunting someone with bloodhounds and fucking pitchforks. Mm-hmm. Avro, what the fuck, Stephen King? What have you wrote? Right yeah. off the bat, you've got guys hunting down somebody. And I'm going, oh my god, then of course, King drops the N-word about 50 times in this movie. And I'm going, hey! Yeah, and um, I... Like, as a 21st um, century reader, read that and go and watch this movie and just think, you can't be saying things like that. But we have to remember that in the 30th when this movie set, you know, race war, you know, race was the be all and end all for some people. And unfortunately, people of, uh, people of race were seen as. Uh, Law, in fact, and to some people they weren't even seen seen as human. So therefore, it was you know quite normal to go about using you know dropping the end bomb all the time. Mm. Which mm. you know I can't even bring myself to say for the podcast, and I'm not aiming it at anyone. I'm like I can't. It's just it's like the modern ve- brain where he you know you know nearly the a hundred years ago brain where we're just wired differently to think mm. you can't, can't go around saying shit like that I, was it up until the late 60s they had signs and models saying no colour no Irish so mm. whoa I mean up to like what was it 69 or something like that the, the, the signs were still up I'm like bloody hell yeah so that, mm. I mean so I, suppose, is, I suppose we have to commend King for you know when it comes to the language of the movie, uh, uh, unfortunately, in keeping with the time it's set, you know. Mm, that's very true, very, very true. Um, although what annoyed me was the way they were throwing around certain words willy-nilly, mm. and it really annoyed me, especially when they started calling Delacroix, they called him, what was it, a Cajun faggot? And yeah. I was like, eh, really? I mean, come on. And uh, what was it, even the DA calls John Coffey at the N-word, and I'm going, yeah. oh, you're supposed to be a DA, and you're, <laughs> you're throwing up words. Mm. Yeah, I, again, it comes down to the, the <sighs> race divide that was rife in the, you know, the turn of the 19th century, and even before that, obviously. Mm. So it was, and how, yeah, that was a commonplace then, if, you know, some of the words we use every day now to describe, you know, some, like, most, most people who know me well enough will call me at some point in their life, they will call me shorty. And mm. you, know, you know that because you know in person that I am not very tall. Um, mm. So, you know, it's like someone saying to me shorty or, you know, whatever else. Yeah, it's very true. Uh, it's very, very true, I suppose. Uh, anybody else would be like, that's a bit, 
should not take offence. And I was like, well, no, it, they're taking a fact, so it's not really offensive. But yeah, to go about dropping the N word, I know I'm dep- I know I'm sh- I'm comparing shorty and the N word, but I'm not really. I'm just making you know, it's like something you can't hide, like your race or your height. You know, mm. like mm. someone makes a comment about it, you, you know, do, are you really gonna take that much offence? Well. I don't, but no one, no one commenting on the colour of my skin. So I, I don't know. I mean, it's like um, throwing around queer before it was retaken back by the the gay community. That was a slur word until what the noughties. Yeah, I suppose you, know? you could. I suppose <laughs> you could do that. It'd be like someone calling, you know, calling me a dyke, or God forbid, calling you a faggot. They said that in my presence, I break the back, but that's just. Mm. But it'd be like someone calling me a dyke. You'd be like, um, hold on a minute. Like, yes. Rude. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And anyway, let's go back to this movie because we went way off course. <laughs> so it cuts after the opening scene with the Bloodhound gang. Oh, God. Mm. It cuts to an old man in a retirement home, and he is Paul Edgecombe, played by Dabs Greer. This was supposed to be Tom Hanks' old band makeup, but it didn't look right, so they cast this old guy instead. Yeah. And he looks nothing like Tom Hanks. No, n- normally they, normally you can sort of guess where that could be, but there's not even any, there isn't anything that convinces you that that old man could be Paul Eshkom when he's like, what age is he? Mm. Like 120 something by the No, 110 in case he says. Is there, oh, is there 110? <clears throat> Um, so yeah, there's no he's not believable as being a as being an older version of Tom Hanks. But that's no, 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 that's just bad casting. I, I, I'm just gonna say, I mean, yeah. um, one thing I do find annoying about this movie was it states that this old man goes outside alone, mm-hmm. uh, days upon days upon days, and goes out for hours upon hours and hours and hours. I'm going no, I worked in old folks' home, and no, you did not let your patients out of your fucking sight. So no. bullshit to that one. I mean, yep. no, no. I mean, other fact how he takes a piece of dry toast and walks for miles, mind <laughs> miles, yeah, mate. up a fucking hill to an old cabin in the woods, and a storm rolls in, and I'm going. What the fuck, you want pneumonia for crying out loud? <laughs> I was just watching that thinking, yeah, if they were, you know, if that was a proper um, care home that genuinely cared for the resident, yeah, there should be at least, you know, a dozen, maybe two dozen uh, nurses. Yeah. yeah, orderlies, that's what I was looking for. Running after him, going, Paul, get back here, where do you think you're going? I mean, you know? what, what's, there's about, what, two orderlies in that dining hall and one in the TV lounge i'm going where the fuck's all the stuff i mean jesus christ so i'm calling bullshit in that one (laughs) and like i say so paul returns later that day and he sits in the tv lounge watching some what was it jerry springer watching at first and there's some old guy flicks over flicks over flicks over i'm like what the fuck who lets oldish parents watch jerry springer (laughs) what (laughs) the fuck I suppose they're allowed to have terrible taste in daytime TV of that point. They really want to. Mm, mm. I mean, when I worked in the old folks' home, they had to watch sp- uh, certain movies. None of them were, like, over a 12 rating and had to be at least 30 years old. <laughs> so they put on, wow. like, Gunsmoke and various other westerns and such and all these May West movies and all these uh, 
bit Davis movies and such. So wow. yeah, they, they, they barely watched any of the modern TV stuff. Mm. So mm, I think the, the one thing they watched was Deal on Audio. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's that's dating how long I watched in there. Anyway, mm. move on. Um, so a woman who's sweet on Paul, she's Elaine, played by Eva Bent. I asked Paul if he's okay because he looks so tired and it looks so old. He says he's having bad dreams. Now, I'm thinking, why are you having bad dreams all of a sudden? Because it wakes up, it wakes up during the, 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 the night, say something about be quiet, your sister will be next sort of thing. So I'm going, what the fuck's going on here? I said, this is the first day I've watched this thing and I'm going, what is going on here? This is bad bloody story writing. I think it he, I think it he conscience. Like, uh, I think the way I interpret this opening scene is uh, coming up to the anniversary of when they executed um, John Coffey. Spoiler for those who haven't seen the but it, it um, can't be and that's what triggering trigger the nightmares it can't be because it's set in 1999 and no. John Coffey dies in 1935 which is yeah. four years earlier so what is going on I mean oh my god anyway he sits down 19, yeah John Coffey that's more than four years earlier John Coffey dies in 35 no 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 no. Four, three, four years earlier would have been 1995 which would have been the anniversary for it so, uh, moving on. <clears throat> I don't mean it like a. I don't mean it like a, a milestone anniversary. I just yeah. mean it, it could be just like any normal anniversary. Yeah, I suppose that's very true. Very true. What annoyed me the most, I've written down here. So Elaine and Paul sits down, and he tells her her life story during a thunderstorm on the nose writing king, is it not? Jesus Christ. Yeah. I mean, and by the end of it, the storm has stopped, and it's all calm and bright and sunny. I'm going. That is way too on the nose, Stephen. Uh, Stephen, Mr. King, I mean, for crying out loud, you're fucking hacky rating there. Yeah, it is a bit. Yeah, it's very, it's just very, um, it's just very typical of King, though, where mm. everything, you know, any any flashback or anything, um, like that will take place during some 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 you know wild weather event. Like that's the same. It's almost without, there's almost a, a slight mirror image in Shawshank Redemption when the young boy, whose name I can never remember, <laughs> is telling what's the main character's name in Shawshank Redemption. Oh, God, I've not seen Shawshank in about 20 years. I have well, no idea if I've He's telling the main guy that basically he was... Andy, is Andy, well done. Um... He's telling Andy that um, he he shared basically a prison cell with the the guy who confessed to confessed to him that he killed Andy's um, wife and his Andy's wife and her her bit in the side basically, <laughs> and they then you know and again the whole story in flashback sequence of him and this other jail with this guy and saying, yeah, they, I killed them, they blamed the stupid husband. It all takes place during a thunderstorm. Yeah, all right, okay then. So King's basically a one-trick point because the same thing happens in The Shining and in Misery mm. and in Storm of the Century and in, what's that, Nightscapes and, now is it Nightmares and the one with the aliens? Yeah. Uh, so, he clearly so, found a a formula he likes there and telling dramatic things that change the 
the plot completely, especially yeah. because then you realise for definite that Andy did anything. Um, but you know, it's time to you know he's clearly found a way that changes the you know that reveals something major in the storyline. Yeah. Uh, and runs with it and uses it in everything. Yeah, true, true. So like I says, so the movie then flash. Back, I was going to fast forward, flashback, 1935, and we meet young Paul, played by Tom Hanks. He runs Death Row, aka the Green Mile, an account of the lime green path to old Sparky, the electric mm-hmm. chair. Why the fuck would you call the electric chair old Sparky? That's what it always was called, um, and it literally was because they used to spark. Like, oh, yes. The, way, the wiring was then. Um, used to but in fact I watched I used to watch that terrible TV show. What was it? Um, it's something like not strange and unusual death, but something like that. And the um, the guy that invite, invented the first ever electric uh, chair, then was like one of the first people to die on it. So, oh Jesus. <laughs> Oh well, well that's that's nice. that useless fact for it all. Yeah. Mm, mm. So, anyway, so it cuts to 1935 Alabama, where an all-black chain gang is digging around. What was it, a rock quarry? What the hell were they doing? I mean, yeah, they're literally breaking rock. Other <clears throat> you know? mm. fact, there's not one white person in that prison. I'm going. There's not one white prisoner. Really, they're all black. With fucking row upon row upon row upon row well, of no, black prisoners. Uh, Apart from um, what's his name? Apart from John Coffey, everyone on death row, and the Asian guy who's the first guy we see executed. Um, everyone else is white. So no, no, no. On death row, yes. I'm outside in the actual prison. They're all yeah, black. Yeah, yeah. Like all the people who aren't serving life are. Um, yeah, yeah, are all doing hard labour. I'm going. What the fuck? So there's no white uh, person. Like, it's almost like all, all the people convicted to hard labour were a black man. Mm. Yes, well, moving on. In the back of a prison bus comes a new prisoner, which causes a hive of activity to explode over the place as they prep his cell. What the fuck was going on with that one? What the hell? I mean, it's got, oh my God, get the door open, get this open, fix it, fix it. Fix it. I'm going. Yeah, because up. from the minute the truck drives in, you can see that it's um, dragging it back wheels. And that's true. That's why it first pulls, not pulls, the other guy, um, the tall guy. Was a Brute? His name was Brutus. Yeah. Was yeah. I could have done what you done and took a note of all the characters' names. Of- <laughs> Um, uh, he, you'd think I'd learn what are we episode at nine, ten, mm. nine. You'd think nine, I'd learn by now to do that, but I still haven't. Um, but yeah, he that fight he says, like, what happened? Have they burst a string and then he comes out and it brings back to normal? So that's what the all the you know activity was like. Mm. Who or what's in that van? Why is it you know, okay. Now, I think I'm wrong here, but this is a 1935, I'm going to say 34, 35 Ford uh, van. Now, Mm. that didn't have bounced suspension. That had, I think it was, it was like a really dodgy live axle suspension. So it wouldn't have like sunk on that. It would have stayed rock solid. Yeah, I think think, um, spring suspension was the last thing in the future to come anyway. It was, was, you know, very, very rare. It was like, you know, I imagine it would have a bit like the electric um, light bulb when they were first introduced. Mm. 
everybody knew about them. They just weren't sure about it. I mean, from what I know off the top of my, my head, uh, this stuff's coming from fucking Top Gear, so take us a pinch of salt. <laughs> early, early cars were called bone rattlers because they had no suspension. They just... So that thing would not have sunk that low. But moving on, it's a movie, I'm guessing. And I love how the fact Paul has a UTI as he's in the toilet trying to piss out, and he's going, I'm pissing out razor blades. I'm going, wow. I mean, actually, right here, he should have wrapped it before they tapped it, but a UTI is different from a STD. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm like, idiot John, so. Because mm. 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 um, a UTI is a urinary tract infection, infection yeah. which cause, is caused by bacteria from the gut getting mm. in the... Uh, urinary tract, yeah, 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 so, yeah. yeah. Moving on, so if we... Up pulls in a bus, as I says, John Coffey, played by the late Michael Clark Duncan. He's supposed to be at least seven foot five. Mm. So I'm going, what the hell does he weigh then? <laughs> Jesus Christ. God knows. I love the fact how he says my name's coffee, like the drink, but spilled differently. I'm like, yeah. oh my God. Yeah. But then it's subtle, subtle, it's subtle sentences like that, that I aim to let other, uh, the Odin know that, you know, he hasn't, uh, there's something more to John Coffey than just this, you know, seven foot, you know, machine of a man almost looking mm. at like, it's almost a classic case of don't judge a book by a cover. Mm-hmm. So therefore, mm-hmm. we have this really big, massive man, and yet he has one of the opening lines is, um, you know, John Coffey just let the drink, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's what different mm. What can you can you read or write? I can always spell my name. I'm like, oh, that is bad. But I've wrote yeah. that somewhere in my notes. What the hell, America? You know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so we meet Chief Guard Brutus Hubble, played by David uh, Morris. He tells Paul to stay out of the cell because this guy's fucking huge. Mm-hmm. Now Michael Clark Duncan was six foot five, the same height as David Morse. So they put David, uh, they, they put Michael Clark on boxes to make himself look seven foot plus because wow. there's, there's been the scenes where he's walking on like umpteen apple boxes to just so much much yeah, higher the same uh the the three guards walk him to his cell and yeah he mm-hmm. does he does tower above the other the other actors so mm-hmm. and we meet the loudmouth guard percy played by a doug uh hutchinson who i knew his face from somewhere and it took me about Two hours to realise that's some Rex Files. He plays Dwayne Barry. Oh my was, god! No, 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 Dwayne Barry. That's the wrong character. The one that plays shit. What the hell is that one now? The one where they squeeze at all the little tiny spaces. Oh yeah. Uh, Eugene Coombs was it? Ah. Was it Eugene Victor Coombs. Hmm. That's a name that spring to mind. But yeah, yeah. Wow. I'm, I know your face. <laughs> so yeah, that'd drive me nuts for two hours. I mean, you son of a bitch. You're the, mm-hmm. you're the, the guy who can squeeze through the little air ducts and such. Anyway, moving on. This guy is a fucking asshole as he shouts repeatedly, dead man walking, dead man walking. I'm like, shut the fuck up, you prick. You know? Mm-hmm. My was... That man was just a sadist. I mean, I know, mm. I know, especially in the 30s, they did hire quite sadistic men because they were more they were they were the what am I trying to say the prisoners were easily 
intimidated by them, but yeah, that man just needed to first kick up the balls. Mm. I mean, I've got my notes later, later on my notes. This is supposed to be the 30s. These men would be sadistic and quite vicious, not all happy-go-lucky and huggy-huggy. You know what shit? I'm going, fuck off for that shit. He would have been beaten over the head with that next like about 52,000 times. No I mean going, la-la-la-la. Yeah. Anyway, mm. so... But I suppose there's a difference between, I imagine there's a difference between being a prison guard in a normal gen, general population and being a prison guard on death row. Because on death row. Face, yeah, yeah, let's face it, the men on death row know they have, especially in the 30s, there was no, no such thing as acquittal um, no. and last minute reprieve. Um, so they literally knew they had nothing else to lose, so therefore to keep them calmer, the better, mm. the better, the easier everybody life war and unfortunately the easier their eventual demise was yeah yeah i mean i love the fact that paul tells this person guy to shut the fuck up and stop being a, a complete prick as he's too mm. handsy with his nightstick as mm. he breaks one of the, the the prisoner's fingers i'm going what the fuck that's yeah. abuse i mean and he tells he, he calls um uh john coffee what was it a retarded imbecile or something like i'm going yeah you're a fucking arsehole mate so hmm and finally, meet the other guard, Harry, played by Geoffrey Demun, who looks on in shock at A, the size of John Coffey, and B, Percy being a complete auto prick. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I was begging for Percy to get his fucking hands smashed, but nothing happened. Um, I was just praying, and every, every, I mean, I've seen this movie a million times, but every time I watch it, I just always think to myself, Maybe that will be the time where Percy gets put in old Sparky and gets what he deserves. Happens mm, mm. but you know. Yeah, and he would find out that John Coffey can't read nor write as I said earlier, and mm. he's afraid of the dark. Yeah. What the fuck, America? Imagine mean, seeing that. Wasn't public school only for rich white people? Yeah, it wasn't uncommon for anyone, no matter um, gender or race, to unfortunately be illiterate. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I just found that a little ridiculous, but moving on. So in the guard room, they all discuss Percy and how he's a loudmouth dickhead. And this new prisoner is a giant. And Paul just looks at the file and reads it and goes, this is fucking disgusting. How could he do such a thing? Mm. And I'm thinking to myself, um, surely you must have had rapists and murderers and child killers and child rapists and thieves and con men in this prison why are you so shocked at this one guy? I think it's more the case of from what we have just seen of John Coffey he literally looks like a you know seven foot child mm. and yet you read what he's meant to have done and you are like wait hold on hold on a minute how is this guy no matter take a equation his height and his build. How is this guy with that mentality? Like, how is he? How has he been able to do such a thing? Mm, okay, then. Okay, then. That's fair enough. That's then. what I picked up. Mm, mm. I mean, I just, I just think to myself, sure, you must have met other rapists and other murderers, mm. but that's fair enough. Fair enough. I suppose they didn't walk into walk onto his mail and say. By the way, do you keep the light on? Because I'm scared of the dark. Mm. I love the fact he starts to spell his name and, and Paul just goes, stop. <laughs> yeah, he's just like, you know? I'm Paul H. Come. 
he's like, okay, I'll stop it. Yeah, yes, sir, boss, sir. And I'm going, ooh, that's a bit much also. In flashbacks, we see what he's been charged with mm. as we see the, is it Detrick family? Klaus, the father, played by William yeah. Sadler, and his wife, Marjorie, played by Paula, what the hell's her name, Malcolmson, uh, has their two little girls raped and murdered. I love the fact how the son, the little son, Howie, who's played by Chris Ivy, points yeah. out there's bloodstains leading out into the woods. I'm going, how long have these kids been missing for? And you just found this one out. <laughs> I mean, Jesus Christ. Yeah. But did you pick up on that that scene there and then gives us, almost tells us that John Coffey didn't do, didn't, even if we didn't figure it out just by, you know, listening to the way he talks and things like that, and the fact he scared it up. Like, that scene, that flashback scene of what happened to those children, what he had cured of, almost tells us, without putting it in big flashing light, that John Coffey didn't kill those children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think of myself, and also, why would he need to slowly rip open the, the screen door? He would just rip it off. I mean, he's a fucking giant, you know? Yeah. He's got the strength to rip off a wee fucking... Uh, fly what they call the doors uh, screen doors you know yeah. so hmm. I suppose it's just to be menacing but yeah you hear you mm. hear the killer's voice and you think yeah that's not John Coffey mm. Mm. so we cut to him and his son armed to the teeth with of course hunting in a pack searching for his girls Katie mm. played by Yvonne Drucker and Karma played by Bailey Drucker I think they're twins then <laughs> They find both girls dead in the arms of Coffee, and he's beaten up, arrested, and tried an open and shut case. Karen, so that's justice then? Unfortunately, that's 1935 styled justice, yeah, because again, no such thing had a defend, and no such thing innocent until proven otherwise, and let's face it, he was found with the dead bodies in his hand, although he's crying over them like a child, but, yes. you know, he he has found with them in his hand. So, you know, to them, to everyone looking at it, whether they had their, um, their prejudice against race or not, you know, you, you know, I'm pretty sure that I thought if something similar happened today, it would be a case of found with them in his hand, they must be guilty. Mm, that's very true. Although in saying that, he must have had a, a lawyer because doesn't the DA say, yes, I tried him in a fair court and we found him guilty as an open and closed case. So, mm, mm. okay then, okay then. Could have been a state-appointed lawyer, which and Loki when the evidence was back against you, were more, although they were um, hired to defend you, they were more likely against you as well. Mm. Mm, mm. Have you seen the the um, other Hitchcock movie called Rope? Yes. Yes. Well, that's based on real serial killers in the 30s that were rich mm-hmm. and decided to kidnap some local black kid off the street who they were friendly yeah. with and bound, gagged, and raped this little boy yeah. um, and blamed somebody else for it. And they almost got this guy killed mm. until they found evidence, i.e., one of the glasses off one of the rich guys and he was only oh, no, we could do it we were rich and then it came out what like, they were so rich that like, they were bored and they were causing multiple crime waves yeah and they got away because they were stinking rich until they get caught red-handed with this murder victim and i'm thinking how many times was people put in jail and or killed over these people 
these two yeah. arseholes killing people and, and setting fires and stealing stuff I mean, for crying out loud. Unfortunately, people who similar to John Coffey could have been, um, what's the polite word, illiterate and didn't mm. know the right, didn't know, you know, the, even the basic human right. And unfortunately, you know, people of colour, because let's face it, 1930, I mean, unfortunately, we still we still have shit like that going on in the world today. But 1930s, you know, racism was as, you know, it mm. was. It was as accepted as anything else, unfortunately. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, I mean, look at the shit what Trump stirred up over the past four years. I mean, Jesus oh, Christ, to show the real face of, of America, for fuck's sake. But mm-hmm. mm, mm. Yeah. Anyway, moving back to this movie, Up Walks the Warden, Warden Moore, played by James Cromwell. They talk about his wife, Melinda, played by Patricia Clarkson. She has headaches, which... He, they, he thinks is killing her. Uh, if the headaches won't kill her, the fucking treatment will. Would did they put like nails up the nose and try to deactivate parts of the brain in the thirties? I don't know. I, I thought. I thought. Um, I just assumed that would have been still trepanning. Because uh, there's a documentary I watched years and years ago about um, this shyster doctor whose big thing was sticking nails. Maybe not that. well, not nails, but like nine inch long bits of metal up people's noses and poking the brain to deactivate parts of the brain to stop the migraines from happening. Maybe that, oh was, my God. Maybe that was just a form of treatment, but I know in the 30s, um, you know, if various did, other things didn't work, um, yeah, they would have tried good old trepanning. Yeah, they so. would have just assumed that it was um, whaling of the brain. Mm. I mean, we do, we do realise later on it had brain tumour, mind you, but they would have... Um, just assumed like whaling on the brain or water on the brain and tried to mm. pattern to relieve it so or good old-fashioned cocaine because wasn't cocaine the be on end all for stuff until like the 40s i mean wasn't there cocaine in coca-cola yeah <laughs> until like the 60s i think it was it's like bloody hell hence why hence why it was highly addictive mm. yeah so i mean so the warden chose out paul for kicking percy out of death row because he's the nephew of the governor of the state, therefore he can do anything he wants to be with murder. What? I mean, fuck off for that one. He's a whiny, sniveling little prick. Mm. Put on his place and shut the fuck up. I mean, Jesus Christ. Yeah, I mean, the, the <clears throat> warden himself admits, you know, he doesn't like him, but he he is the nephew of, you know... Of the, of the governor yeah. of the state, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah the governor. So... Unfortunately, he does know people in high places, so yeah, he can go crying like a little bitch and get his own way. Mm. As he did, because apparently the warden was called by his uh, auntie, saying, how dare you throw him off the line, da 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 what a little fucking weasel, little sniffling prick. Yeah, and I was like, whatever happened to you say about your nephew? Shit, you're at his job, he's fucking to be honest, he's better place going sweet in the road. Mm, mm. I mean, Paul tells the warden that he broke three fingers of the prisoner, Delacroix, mm-hmm. played by Michael Jetter, out of sheer spite. So the warden yeah. tells him, in a few months, he'll be getting a new job anyway, so suck it up. I'm going, fire him, the incompetent twat. This yeah. was the 30s. I mean, it's like, stand up to the governor. I mean, we find out in this that the governor is a woman, so therefore, although she's 
governor. No, 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 no. She's married to the governor. Oh, she's governor. Uh, she's married to the governor. Okay. Yeah. It's still, you know, she still only has auntie. So mm-hmm. you know, the, the man would have still had. Unfortunately, the man would have still been in a bit mm-hmm. um, a more authoritarian place just based on her gender. So you know, he, he could have quite easily turned and overruled her and went, "Unless your husband tells me this, then." And unless your husband thinks it's right that he's going about doing this, this and that, I'm going to fire the little shit and there's quite literally nothing you can do about it. Mm. Well, this, this is the Deep South, so corruption was rife mm, so in the 30s, 40s and 50s. Actually, still to the fucking today. I was so, going mm. to say, let's not, let not just limit it to the 30s and 40s. Mm, mm. I mean, I love the fact that, that the warden tells Paul his mean-spirited side will thrive in the nut house you fucking think <laughs> these prisoners so these prisoners these um insane people were treated with even more sorry less respect than the colored yeah. folk yeah. so you mean they were and beaten. less respect than the prisoner in the prison which i think is i mean we talk about that he said in the 30s and mm-hmm. he said you know he has his main very basically his sadistic nature is going to sit him well when he go to work in the mental hospital mm-hmm. but which would have been an asylum, not even a mental hospital, yes. or we know today. So, therefore, you know, that just tells you the type of people that were employed to look after, you know, that either mentally ill. Mm. Like, no wonder some people got worse and not better when they were in asylum. Yeah. And weren't most mental patients um, guinea pigs for the day's drugs that were invented? You know? And various form of treatment, yeah. Yes, yes. I was like, all those poor people that had to suffer through all the, all the, all the um, prototypes of what we, we now know as e, um, electric convulsion treatment. Oh, shock therapy, yeah. Yeah, shock therapy, exactly. They must have, they must have felt like their head was burning. I imagine. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You know? I mean, there's a doctor in the forties, I think it was, that was doing open brain surgery mm. and they were, they were just like unrestrained just lying there as he's drilling yeah. chunks of, of the brain out of the skull rather and getting into their that, brain and poking that, that can work <clears throat> though because there's some brain surgery today oh, that that's true. you that's have true. to be awake for so that can because it knocks you out you know and you're paralysed you're, and they do something and accidentally paralyse you you could no way tell them so they, you could literally walk onto the table and, you know, not even be able to crawl off if they're not here. Yeah, prototypes of that must have been, you know, taught. Although I've seen that, didn't Mr. Kellogg of Kellogg's Conflicts mm. fame own a nut house and he was having enemas constantly, like coffee enemas and, and water enemas and, like, hot enemas, like, six, seven times a day. And he was basically actual shocking lesbians and gay guys to get them to become quote-unquote straight and normal you know i mean he thought if you were insane all you had to do was have a clean colon and your mind would be perfectly fine so he was giving he clearly (laughs) thought that homosexuality came from the colon as well well hmm, i'm moving on Let's not mix up me with you. No, I'm joking. <laughs> anyway, moving back to this movie. Uh, so later that night, Paul tells his wife, Jan, played by Bonnie Hunt, about his day, including the newbie prisoner. 
and how he's a quote-unquote retard. And she just says something about how you feeling? And he goes, oh, I feel like shit. This UTI is a pain in the arse. I should go to the doctor in a few days' time if it doesn't clear up. I'm thinking, go to the doctor straight away. Although I'm saying that, probably giving a fucking handful of cocaine and go, there you go, <laughs> you know, have some heroin sort of thing. Yeah. Weren't they known to um, try and insert thing? I think so, yeah. There yeah. as well to try and clear things. No wonder he was holding out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, next day, while cleaning old Sparky, Paul sees a small mouse running into Delacroix's cell and note none of these mice are real they're all CGI yeah <laughs> I mean I'm going with the, apart, apart from the ones that are real but the ones with actors are holding on their hands but the rest of them are all fake yeah I'm going what the fuck yeah so, when they're doing the tricks it's not yeah but when yeah I read that as well mm. so, I mean, so they chased the, the mouse into a padded cell which is full of junk. Why the fuck is the paddy cell full of junk? Yeah, you just think, why is it... I suppose they keep their... Um, their and I suppose they keep their inmates that calm and that they treat them, apart from Percy, they treat them that nicely that actually they don't have to use the restraint room. So, oh, that's, that's true. You know, it, it can, that there is the hint that, you know what... In a corrupt system and in a time when, you know, the only the hired people who on paper could be intimidating to even the toughest a prisoner, like these people, the way these people treated, the fact that these three guards treated their inmates like people and not numbers meant that they had control over them without having to put them in a restraint room. Mm, that's very true. It also shows that they're lazy bastards and don't oh, just... They just shove it all in the cupboard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it myself actually. So once they cleaned out the hunt for a mouse and it vanished into fresh air. So is this thing magical then? Hmm. So days later, it returns. The other guards feed it, but Percy goes nuts trying to kill it because he's a sinister little prick. It runs away and Percy is pulling over the shit out of the padded cell yet again and vanishes again. So, is this a magical mouse just vanishing to fresh air? Because where the fuck did that mouse go? I'm saying that it is so tiny and fast that, you know, mice yeah, my mine. I mean, my cousin's got, I'm sure that the mice she got not long, a couple of months back. And honest to God, I, I, she, she put a picture of it on social media and I thought, I didn't even realise. No, they were tiny, but I didn't think they were that tiny. Mm. Let's look at her. This thing moves quickly across the room. Yeah, you're not going to see it. No, that's what's true. Okay, so like spiders move fast enough, you know. To me, they move that fast to become invisible. Because literally, it's like, you know, it's in your living room. The next thing, you know, it's like, I don't know, halfway up your kitchen or something. You're like, where are you together? Exactly. So we're only 35 minutes into this thing. And they are really laying on thick. This Percy is bug nuts insane. And he's a complete dickhead. Drunk in his own power. And because his his fucking daddy or daddy's sister knows the governor sort of thing, so fuck up your little prick. Mm-hmm. Are we get it? I've wrote in here. Let me guess. He killed the twins. I was wrong there, but mm, because it wouldn't surprise me. He's actually a fucking killer, you know, because he doesn't give two fucks. He just seems to yeah, be on his he, own little world. He's so sadistic that you do you you do you do imagine that if he didn't have the you know this a uh, relative in high places that you know if he hadn't been a prison guard he would have just became a serial killer 
Yeah, yeah, he would have killed them all dead, yeah. yeah. Mm. So days later, on the eve of his execution, Native American prisoner, which is named Bitterbuck, played by yeah. Graham Greene, gets his last visit from his family. Okay then. And here the news, a trustee, Toot Toot, played by Harry Dean Stanton, to practice run the long walk to death row. Mm. What in the actual fuck? What the... Wait a minute here. This is death row. Sure, the fuck they should know how to do it just like that because they've done it like dozens and dozens and dozens of times. Yeah, Why but they... even now they do some form of um, a practice run almost uh, mm. just to make sure all the restraints are working and things like that. And, you know, they don't get there and discover that someone, maybe it's been a while before they did the last one, but maybe they, they you know, they discover someone, I don't know, doesn't can't remember how to can't remember if the the cap goes over the cap goes over the head before or after the sponge maybe mm. you know mm. oh by the way i looked up the word gink because oh. somebody calls to, to a silly old gink yeah. now, a gink is a foolish person so ah okay uh, anyway so they take the police up, right? Because apparently the place is always dusty for some reason, even though it gets news constantly. Why the fuck's get dust? Um, although, why is it in a fucking barn? I was, was like, going to say, it's in a barn, so <laughs> that might be, that might blame the dust. Mm. So the place is cleaned up. Bitterbuck has his head shaved and put in a chair. He talks about what heaven is like, the, quote, best time of my life. Paul says he believes that one also. Okay, I suppose he's saying the best time of my life was when I was 18, 20. I had an 18-year-old wife and we had sex all night and she would look at me lovingly after sex with the glowing all around her and that's the best time of my life. That's my heaven. I'm going, get in. Okay then, you know. And surprise, surprise, Percy wants to pull the switch and he, he watches on with gleeful look in his eye because he's a sense little prick. He then mocks the dead yeah. body. Mm. which does not sit well with Brute and tells him what the fuck's him up with you and tries to slap him around until Paul stops it. I'm going, let him beat him up, he's a fucking arsehole. Yeah, I was, I was sitting there rooting for him, going, you know, belt him in the back of the head. Mm. Mm. But there is an unwritten and it, it hints that maybe it went back to here, maybe it was just something um, King wrote in because there is an unwritten code that especially um, now that um, any person, once their sentence has been served, i.e. they've been executed. Like, they're innocent, yeah. That's them innocent, so therefore to mock the body of a now innocent, although dead, man, um, yeah, disrespectful. Plus, mm. like, you don't go about mocking dead bodies, that's a bit... No, sick. no, no, no. I always say don't mock someone who can't defend themselves when a dead body definitely... Top of that list, you know. Mm, mm. So Paul then strongly suggests Percy takes a nuthouse job, but he refuses to say no. He wants to be out front to watch one fry. Seriously, what is wrong with this little fuck? I mean, is he mentally disturbed? Why isn't he carted away? I mean, is this what happens when you give too much money to an individual to become so disconnected with with reality? They're such a little attention-seeking little prick, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, God almighty. So days later, Paul finds the mouse in De La Cruz. Is it De La Croix? De La Cruz? Anyway, De La Cell. Mm, I think I was going to call him Del for no one in Screw <laughs> <Yeah. it. laughs> 
in his cell and it does tricks, as he calls it, Mr. Bojangles. Does it go Bojangles? Is it Jangles or Bojangles? See, I couldn't remember. I've always remembered, and I only watched it not that long ago. That's terrible. But I always remember it uh, Mr. Jangle. But it mm. could be Bojangle. But then Bojangle fought the, um, what was he, a circus clown or something on 4050 TV. Mm, I believe. Because uh, Del notices that it does like, tricks like mm. fetch and runs up the arm and all that stuff. And I'm going. Who the hell trained the mouse to play fetch? Yeah, exactly. So Paul was then called to Warden's office where he's told of a new prisoner, Bill Wharton, played by Sam Rockwell. He's, he tells him to be careful of this one as he thinks he's Bill of the kids. He killed three people and one was pregnant and he mm. just doesn't give two fucks. He's bad mm. news. Mm. So Warden also tells Paul that his wife has a brain tumour and she's indeed fucked because wasn't brain tumour pretty much a death warrant in the 30s. Yeah, it was. So, hmm. So cut to that night as Paul was shown pissing up blood in his outhouse as he finally goes to see the doctor. Why would you wait until you piss up blood? <laughs> I mean, I'm all for, you know, people in their stubborn way and, you know, the, you know, um, Paul meant to be a big manly man, but yeah, you mm. know. Would you wait till you're pissing up blood to go see the doctor? Oh, what the fuck, no. No, oh, absolutely not. No. So the next day, in jail, the new guy, Wild Bill, a.k.a. Bill... What's his name again? Fuck's his name again? What's his name? Da, 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 Bill Wharton. Yeah. Is in the mental hospital, doped up to his head, as he can barely stand. The guy, the guards have to strip him naked and redress him, as Percy mocks him, calling him... What is it, a noodle? Was a noodle dick he calls or something like that? A noodle... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Um, <clears throat> so Wild Bill was then taken to death row, a.k.a. Cell Block E, and he tries to kill one of the guards, Paul, because it's a trick, and Percy just stands like a coward as he tries to choke out Paul with the handcuffs. Why the fuck would you stand in front of a prisoner, doped up or not, while he's got handcuffs behind your back? Yeah, Exactly. I mean, Jesus Christ. Talk so, about let, letting your guard down. Or more yeah. than one that scene, you know? Yeah, what was the, the, the guard called? Was it Dean, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. I've got down here Paul. Paul's the fucking lead, you idiot, John. <laughs> <laughs> so, Paul pulls his gun out, but they can't take a shot because he's in too much pain because while Bill kicked him in the balls. Okay, mm. then. Uh, so, Brutus comes in and knocks out while Bill... And he's slung in his paddy, uh, in his cell rather. And Paul tells him to check out the guard that was always knocked out. I'm going, wait a minute here, weren't you told to shoot first, ask questions later? You know, yeah. so. And Coffee calls Paul to his cell where he heals him using his magic power. So he now knows he is not a killer. And Coffee coughs up CGI flies, aka the UTI infection. Mm. and this is Stephen King trope the magical black guy it's in pretty much fucking everything it's in The Shining it's in this it's in Doctor Sleep uh-huh. it's in uh, what else off the top of my head I'm trying to think off the top of my head um, well, the, the kind of hinted only minuscule that Red from Shawshank might have a little bit of a magical because he can say that Andy's not in his cell or at least he you know, when they say it's the longest night of his life, like you can almost sense that something 
going on in Andy's room and, you know, we found out Andy's escaped the next day. Mm. Mm. So. Yeah, true, true. So with that, Paul can now piss in peace. Yay, small victory. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. And we're an hour into this three-hour fucking movie. I was like, God, something happened, you know. Later, he tells his wife what happened, but she doesn't believe him until they make love four times in one night. Now, he's in his 40s. Bullshit! <laughs> you know? So in that 1930s, man, they might have been quite, you know, fair. Mm. Mm. Moving on. <laughs> next day, <clears throat> moving the fuck right on. Next day, <laughs> Paul checks out the DA, Mr. Hammerschmidt. Is that his yeah. name? Yeah. Played by Gary Sinise who's completely wasted in this one five-minute cameo. What the fuck? Uh, he asks him about coffee, and Paul thinks he's innocent, but the DA doesn't think so, saying how he had no background. Like, quote, like he fell from the sky. So is coffee an angel? See, I think he is. No, I have a, a theory that if he's not an angel sent by God, he's almost like a representation of God. Okay, okay. Yeah. Also, how could a man, a black man at that, who's over seven foot tall in 1930s Alabama and no one noticed him until he done the killing? Bullshit! I mean, race yeah. was rife in the fucking deep south, let alone the whole of America. So bullshit, he would have been fucking noticed him. Utter nonsense. Yeah, it's kind of hard to believe how a man so unique as John Coffey went through life and you know the depression era in Louisiana where he set with you know barely anyone looking twice at him you know mm. you do think yeah there's no way that worked but no 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 I mean what annoys me the most was the DA calls Coffey a mongrel dog useless but lovable until it turns on you and it has to be put down he then calls him, I was a retarded N-word, and shouldn't, shouldn't be trusted. Don't, don't turn your back on him because he will kill you at any given chance. Mm-hmm. One of us story, don't trust a black man. Okay, then. I mean, we get it, Stephen King. America is racist in the 30s and is still to this day, but you have to beat it over the head constantly, even your DA is Yeah, I've got that. I've got that written down as well. It's almost taking the, it almost uses too much of the language of the time and puts it into it. Like, like you say, like he's almost taking the obvious that, you know, the world wasn't a very nice place if you were black in the 30, 40. I mean, it's not, it's not as nice now. Mm. It, it really wasn't then, you know, even people who are sworn to protect and things like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Know, don't don't exactly like you or want to. So, yeah, it, it, it's a little bit, I've got that written down as well, that it, it's a bit, you know, too heavy on the on the racial slur that would have been unfortunately common. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the next day... Paul gives Coffee some cornbread that his wife baked to thank him for healing him because apparently she was several times happy. Leave it. <laughs> um, <laughs> so Coffee gives Dell and Mr. Jingles or Jangles, I think his name is, some 
and while Bill is pissed off, so he calls Kathy nothing but a retarded Negro, does he call him? Or does he call him the full-on N-word? I think he calls him the N-word. Or does he do, does he do both? And hmm. So Paul walks over to his cell and tells him to keep a, keep a civil tongue in his mouth. So Bill spits in his eye, saying, I don't trust nobody, and just grogs him in his face. What the fuck? Why is this guy not restrained? Well, yeah, exactly. Because doesn't they say earlier, the warrant says earlier that he's been in several prisons and he's escaped multiple times mm. and he can't be trusted so why isn't he restrained like fucking Hannibal Blood Lecter for fuck's sake I mean exactly. mm. yeah I know so later Bill pisses over the ward uh, the, the guard uh, Terrell what's his Terrell Winnegar is that his name uh-huh. and uh, Paul does fuck all about it I'm going what the fuck I'm going bullshit. He would have been beaten to inch of his fucking life, you know? Absolutely. They would have been in a jail cell and beat the, the fuck out of him. Yeah, there would have been an accidental accident. I say accidental in quotation marks. Um, yeah. And Bill would have sadly died if this was, you know. Yeah, they would have found him at the bottom of the stairs. Oh, he must have fell down the stairs. Yeah. yeah. Mm. But Bill was now shocked when the old guard pulls the fire hose on him and he's stuck in a padded cell, street jacket and all. Mm. And I'm going, what the fuck? So days later, while Bill was let out, yeah, he goes back in time and time again. I'm going, just fucking put him restraints constantly. He's going to be such a fucking arsehole. I mean, Jesus yeah. Christ. I suppose even then there was the basic human right here where they couldn't be restrained 24-7, but... Not to say it didn't happen, and it probably still did happen to some degree all over the world in prison, you know? Actually, isn't it even today? People on death row only have an hour of exercise, and that was it. They were restrained up to their, or drugged up to their eyeballs. I mean, look at... um, From what I've heard and read and seen on um, documentaries and things, yeah, they only get like an hour a day. Mm. I mean, we all feel a bit like that just now, but I can't compare lockdown to life on death row, not by a long shot. But no. yeah, you know, they only get an hour a day. Yeah, I mean, wasn't Ted Bundy was given 40 minutes a day mm-hmm. and he only saw the sun like four or five times a year? It's like, yeah. bloody hell. So I'm calling bullshit. This guy would have been still able to, to throw shit around and piss over people and that crap and act like a complete bastard. But moving on. Again, it, it can't be un... It, I don't think it would have been as uncommon as what you think. Like, I know it still happened. There's a there's a, quite a few documentaries on Netflix about even now, live in American prison, mm. especially on death row. And, you know, some of them do literally take the whole get nothing else to live for or lose motto and behave like animals in there. So. Oh, that's true. That's, that's very, very true. So the next day, Bill takes old Toot Toot's lunch from him. He spits it up on Brutus's face, and that's just fucking disgusting. And why the fuck is he not muzzled like Hannibal Lecter? I've got down here. More padded cell. Yay. Um, Later, Dell is let out due to the trained mouse. Nope, he's next for the chair. He doesn't know he's, he's next for the chair. Bullshit. He should know exactly how many days, weeks, months, minutes he has left. Utter shite. Well, no, because even then, like, they weren't told, well, you have 
you know, like, I think at the most they were given a couple of weeks notice. I'm pretty sure now they don't always know right up until almost the last minute. I say almost the last minute, like, within a month, if no less, of when the execution date is. So. I'm trying to think. There was a documentary watch about serial killers, and yeah. I think it was Ted Bundy. I think it was, and he was told you've got five years, and he appealed and appealed and appealed time and time and time and time, time again, well until his execution, and he knew when he was going to die, but he just postponed it. What? What? A little wonder, bit. I wonder if it's different for every death row case. A prisoner, and I know one of the ones that I watched on Netflix that was a case of they literally won't know until within you know four weeks at the earliest. Um, mm, I'm, I'm not sure about that one at all, but moving mm. on. So, Toot Toot takes his place and practice run, and Percy wants to do it because, of course, he does because he's a little prick. I'd wrote down here, he's just a little prick. Yeah. Percy messes with Dell, so while Bill sexually assaults him, calling his dick, quote, as soft as his sister's pussy. What the fuck, King? I've yeah. wrote in here. He then pisses himself with fear, and both Dell and Bill mock him. So off he goes to clean up after threatening the rest of the guys to keep stone, keep their mouth shut, and don't tell anybody that he's pissed himself. I've wrote here, what is King doing here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he literally, yeah, it's very, it's a very heavy scene, and you just, you want, even to read that part in the book, which is almost, you know, almost words similar to what you see on the screen, you do think, you know, like, we know that he's Stephen King, and he writes some dark shit, but mm. for, a, for a movie that is not at all, a horror or anything like we normally expect from him. It's a pretty dark stage and it's a pretty dark, you know, wording for Wild Bill to you to just put in there. And I wonder if, I mean, I know there's something similar in the book and for me to try and find it to read to you, we could be here all night. Mm. Because the, the book, like I say, is 500 pages long. But yeah, it's still pretty... It's still um, pretty dark, and you just think, I wonder if that, I can't remember off the top of my head, I wonder if it's taken directly from the book. can't remember. Mm. It I mean, or does... if it's been a slight rewrite in there, just so that sounds more menacing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, doesn't King have a history of doing this? Isn't there a whole gang rape scene in It, where all the children have sex with the one girl in it? Yeah, you know, and, and when she's the, underage. In the book. Sort of thing. Mm, mm. And let's not forget, he puts um, gang rape in Shawshank Redemption. Oh, does he know? Well, then. Yeah, okay. Andy, Andy, Andy Dufresne, um, unfortunately, gets raped more than one. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Anyway, so that night, Paul talks Dell into giving up Mr. Jingles, or Jangles, what the fuck his name is. Dell throws a thread bobbin too far so Percy stops on it and kills it the sick bastard this this sells mm-hmm. Dale into a rage so Percy walks off places himself Coffee then asks to see the body of the mouse and brings it back to life as more CGI flies fly out of his mouth so now all the guards know about Coffee's power so why is it so much of a fucking secret towards the end of the Buddy Will movie I mean wouldn't they go oh get the papers quick let's make money off this guy you know I mean 
because it's a classic case of this. This movie for me is literally a case of underneath the paranormal stuff with John Coffey, it's literally a story of, you know, it's almost a story of an ongoing argument between good and evil and right and wrong. And it's almost like a, a, a story about a tale of humanity, if you look at it very, very deeply underneath all the stuff on top. Because, you know, the, 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 the good and evil between, obviously, um, Paul and his guard, apart from Percy and mm. John, obviously represent good and uh, Percy and Wild Bill are obviously evil and then the, the right thing and the wrong thing to do, and like when they realised that John Coffey could not have possibly done what he'd been convicted of um, like, they do have you see it on screen, they, they have a discussion about it the, the, the um, dilemma of what do we do? Do we tell them that he can't have done this? Mm. Um, risk ourselves looking like, you know, not only are we sympathising with prisoner and murderer and, you know, someone who's been convicted of raping and killing ch- children, but, you know, also seen as looking like racial sympathiser, which was also a bad of being an actual criminal in those days. Yeah, yeah, so that's so, very true. It's the type of thing of, do they do what's morally right or do they do their job? And, you know, unfortunately, by the end, we obviously find out what they do. Uh, mm. You know, and it's the case of the lesser of the two evils, you know, it's like, what did they do? So, yeah, yeah well, that's it's that's a conflict. The whole story is a conflict. I love the fact that Paul and Brute have words with Percy telling him that after Dell is dead, he's to leave or he'll be beaten half to death over not helping Dean, the young guard, after Will Bill had him a chokehold. Mm. And he just goes, no, no, I know the governor. I know people. I know big, powerful people. Fuck you, sniveling little shit. You're a fucking yeah. coward. You sat there or rather stood there and watched this guy almost choke to death. You fucking idiot. What a useless guard he would have been. I mean, Christ almighty. So oh, next day... Yeah. Next day, Dell is next for the chair. However, it's during a lightning storm. By the way, I thought the, the whole crew was going to get electrocuted as the roof is leaking and all the water's all over the place. I'm thinking, are they going to get electrocuted when the lightning hits that thing? But yeah, sadly not. So he hands over the mouse to coffee. Percy tells Dell he is next to die as Dell says he's sorry for all that he has done. And Percy digs in. There's no such thing as the mouse circus, because apparently they talk about a mouse circus, and the, the kids would pay to see the mouse do the tricks and stuff like that. Da, da, yeah, da, da, they, da. they obviously plan to either set the mouse free or, unfortunately, mm. exterminate them when, when um, Delacroix was uh, gone. But, yeah, he obviously ruined it. It was obviously, again, a tactic to keep him calm and cooperative. Yes. Um, Percy, I would a little say this, that like, you know, actually it doesn't exist. Yeah, it doesn't exist. It's all, it's mm. all bullshit to keep you quiet, keep you yeah, docile, exactly. sort of thing. Exactly. So, Percy then laughs as Del cries as he's strapped into the chair. As the top of the electric chair is placed on his head, he doesn't want the sponge over and places it on the top of his head, bone dry. Shouldn't have noticed there's no dripping water coming off the sponge, there's no dripping water leading up to the head. So 
Yeah, he mm. only notices one uh, um, one that's screwed in place. But then again, um, Paul has ha the authority in that room, so he could, uh, although although Percy up front and taking charge, Paul still, you know, the the senior officer in that room, he could have quite easily turned around and played it off as like a rookie mistake or something to save his embarrassment. Mm. Or damn right out of him and turn around and be like, yeah, you've done that wrong. You need to wet that because, let's face it, you're going to burn him alive if you mm. don't. And he doesn't, you know. He and I, I it, you get that he does it so as not to cause a panic with Delacroix. So, but at the same time, yeah, he could have quite easily just been like, you know what, do it properly. Yes, exactly. exactly. You know, but unfortunately. Del dies in pain and not a quick death either. Uh, he is shocked in front of everybody and it goes on for like fucking five minutes. And apparently the place smells like a wet dog as it's, as he's getting fried alive and he literally bursts into flames. Mm. I'm going, that is too fucking much. What the fuck was King thinking? And love the fact in the cell, Coffee can feel Del dying mm. as while Bill screams, the fag is burning. Uh, yes, the Cajun yes. faggot is burning. We're having we're having Cajun tonight. I smell yes, like French, uh, um, French. What was it? French fries or something? French yeah, something ridiculous like that. You just think, yeah, come on, get a grip. Mm. So Dell's body explodes in fire as the crowd run and fear and puke everywhere. I was thinking, shouldn't this be the point where lightning bolt hits the fucking barn and electrocutes the entire floor? Killing everybody in, inside. Couldn't the, couldn't the flame from Del Head have caught one of the uh, uh, um, a rare spark from the the chair and just set them all up in flame? But mm. Mm. I mean, Percy's in license, I think you know. Yeah, yeah. So Percy is then held a fire extinguisher and told to put, put out the fire, but he's too scared to. He's literally pushed in front of the fucking flaming body. Ooh. I'm going, what the fuck? So. Brute takes him under under the, the sort of barn bit and beats up like shit out of the smug little Percy. But Paul stops him yet again, telling him he ain't worth it. The warden then comes down to chew them all out until he hears that it was Percy's fault. It was Percy, oh, um, didn't you know you're supposed to put the sponge? You are showing the fucking sponge how to be wet. You said that's a little fuck. You want to see him die in pain, you little fucking ass wipe. Oh my god, so Percy has been forced to sign to go to the nuthouse in the morning as the warden stands up to this little fuck once and for all, finally, you know? Yeah, exactly. And again, Paul's only saying to him, you know, saying to Brute, he's not worth it because at the end of the day, although Percy uh, fault, um, Brute would have lost his job. Yes. You know, and yeah. he's like, yeah, he's not worth it and do nothing like the workhouse or something for mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So with that, Paul storms upstairs to deal with Wild Bill, who has trashed his, his cell uh, again, trashed his cell and shit all over the floor. What the fuck? Sort of person shits on the floor and just trashes the whole cell. What the fuck is yeah. wrong with? It clearly meant to show that he should have been. Um... Lethal injection. Been... <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, but he he should have been in an asylum, not on death mm. floor. Mm, you know? mm, so. yeah, yeah. He then checks on Coffee, who is crying over Dell's dead body, saying he's lucky he can die now, he can be at peace. 
So mm. is coffee an angel or not? I'll go down here. I'm, mm. I'm not sure. See, let's go back to my other theory of I can't tell if he's just an angel or if he's God. Because n- near the end of the movie, John's preci- uh, sorry, Paul's precise words to John are, you know, uh, something like, what am I meant to tell God on Judgment Day? Um, how am I meant to explain to God, basically, on Judgment Day that I killed one of his miracles? So, yeah, you can't work out. I can't work out if he, you know, God or, yeah, just an angel. Yeah, I mean, doesn't isn't one of Coffee's final words something about uh, he can be at peace now because he's always felt the world's anger. He always felt the world's pain and misery. Yeah, his final words are he can sleep now because he, he's dog-tired and just wants to sleep. Mm, okay. okay. So he couldn't sleep because obviously he was so tuned into all the hurt and anger and that in the world. Mm. But, you know, I, I, you imagine it tortured him at night, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He also says that Mr Jangles has run away when Paul, uh, when Paul, when Dell died, so the mouse is now immortal. Then this yes. magical mouse that came out of nowhere is now immortal. Absolutely. And I'm thinking, is coffee like, um, what was it, Cain? It was cursed to walk the earth for eternity because he was the first murderer. Is yeah. it like him? Yeah, but then that would have. But then to compare him to Cain would mean at some point he would have actually had to commit murder. And can you, after watching the movie and understanding the character of John Coffey, can you ever see him committing, like, purposely committing murder? Or maybe he's an apostle, you know, he's a saint sort of thing. Because... Did, don't you ask him later on in the movie where's all your scars came from and he goes I don't remember I don't, yeah. remember much. I don't know much but I know these are old scars so mm. has he been and crucified and attacked and he just can't die maybe, maybe he's been a slave at one point possibly yeah yeah, yeah. that's possible true that's very mm-hmm. very true mm-hmm. I mean that would have been quite yeah because in the 30s he would have been kept as a slave and probably ran away sort of thing. So, mm. Definitely. So anyway, that night, Paul returns home to sit in the dark listening to music while drinking scotch. And his wife comes out to see how he is. And he just sits there and stares into space, knocking back whiskey. So I'm thinking, right, this, this is your coping mechanism then, listening to radio while knocking back whiskey. Yeah, exactly. Mm. It then cuts... Whiskey was the cure for everything. Mm, yeah, true, true. And then cuts to the next day as they're visiting the warden and his wife. And the warden tells Paul that she has good days and bad days. And she's got a matter of weeks, if not months, to live, sort of thing. And I'm thinking, tell the warden of Coffee's power, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. God almighty. Mm. I mean, I don't get why he doesn't tell the, the warden that he might have the power to save your wife sort of thing, but he's just well, like, no, no, no. Just tell him, and eventually, and like a scene or two, when they turn up at his wife's house, and he, he absorbs her tumour. Mm. Yeah, but before that, there's this whole ridiculous scene where they're having lunch, and Paul there tells... There is that whole 
yeah, pointless scene where it could have came up a case of, you know, you have to see this guy in action. I don't think he can, I don't think he's capable of doing what he did. Mm. You know? mm. I mean, I think the ridiculous, uh, the show, the show popping lunch with his quote, boys, i.e. all the guards, apart mm. from Percy, yeah. that he wants coffee out of, out of the jail cell to help the warden's wife. Paul then tells him the plan and they sneak out coffee in the middle of the night to help to heal the warden's wife. But how the fuck does this one work? They plant a truck in the middle of the woods. They sneak past umpteen guards. They go doing a magic staircase that goes out the back of the prison. And there's fucking tower guards are standing there watching them and they walk away. They walk mind to the fucking truck which yeah. is miles from the prison yet they're not caught who yeah. the shit i mean oh my god he no, also continues that he doesn't believe coffee is a killer because why would god quote give that power to a killer as torment you know maybe, maybe. yeah so, I mean, but, but i suppose have have coffee worn as um of Coffee's mentality was that of a serial killer. He could have been given that power by a quote-unquote god as a way of, you know, tormenting his victim because, like, maybe he could resuscitate them and then do it all over again. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, 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 yeah very true. So, with that, the plan is put into motion and the wife is pretty much saved. Uh, I'm going, what the fuck, as they cut to... Paul and Brute in the infirmary stealing pills, random pills, mind. They just mm. crush it up and they give it to Wild Bill to shut the fuck up. As in the office, Percy is reading on, what was it, mental health guides as he's reading Smut. Yep. So next, they sneak coffee out after they stick Percy in a paddy cell yet again, including the street jacket, because it's punishment for what he did to Dale too bad while bill comes to and grabs coffee's arms which sends anger straight to john but he makes him feel like he's drunk and while bill just passes out out they go via as i said via the hidden staircase past the tower guards who don't even fucking know there's a spotlight on one of them at one point i'm going what the fuck shoot them yes yeah, exactly. oh my god they walk miles into the woods and they find the fucking truck i've written here who the fuck wrote this crap oh yes stephen king of course because this is, makes no fucking sense this should have been fucking cut i was chewing up the fucking walls watching this garbage i mean oh my god so then they drive to the warden's house it's hours later not so much that it's badly written i think that bit come and in, come into um and i don't mean that in a bad way you know i love you dearly but i think it comes into um as you're almost impatientness with some movie because this is meant to show how far away things were and how you and um you know that it could have taken hours to drive to the warden house and back again where oh, that's it, true you know, anyone, with, anyone who's so used to, I mean, myself included with some movie, so used to watching a movie and it cuts from one scene to another all the way through and used to them, you know, leaving there and being in a car and then being there, whereas this thing does drag on. Yeah, you do kind of watch it and think, should I fast forward this bit? <laughs> you know? I mean, was, wasn't the Model T4? I wanted to, you know, fast forward that to have it on a bit but yeah I mean, was it the Model T Ford something like two horsepower 
so it was top speed of about 55 or something like that. So, I suppose that's fair enough. Yeah. But, because it just annoyed me how these three guards can sneak past this gigantic, sneak this gigantic guy out of jail and the fucking tower guards are watching them. I'm going, they would have shot them on the fucking spot. So, bullshit would have, oh, moving on. Yeah, it, that bit does make you think, how did they get him by the watchtower? Because one thing, them three being in on it, but, you yeah. know, they're not going to have the whole, the whole prison behind them on this and sneaking this, you know, monster of a man mm. I mean, height and build way out. You can't exactly hide him under a blanket, you know? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, anyway, so the warden pulls a shotgun on all three men thinking they're held prisoner by coffee. As coffee just walks past the warden, that guy's got fucking balls. I don't the warden just blows his head off. Yeah, you know? exactly. And it's like... It's like we thought of men were in so much danger and in, in, in association himself and his wife because they turned up at her house. Like, the fact mm-hmm. that he doesn't even attempt to fire when he just walked by, it's, you know, you do think, what's going through his mind? How did he know in that instant that, because let's face it, John Coffey's done nothing to prove that he's not a threat. Yes. Then, yeah. um, how did he know in that instant that John Coffey's not a threat to him or his wife. Yeah, I love the fact how uh, Brutus, or Brut rather, says to Paul, yeah, we'll take handguns and shotguns, but they don't fucking handcuff Coffey yeah. or put chains on him at all. I'm going, what the fuck? Moving on. So Coffey walks into the, the house. He heals the wife. And as this happens, time stops and the earth shakes. But I've got a thing here. Is her illness, actual illness, or is she possessed by a demon? You know? I think uh, I think it's a brain tumor. Because but then again, it shows you a face, and her face looks deformed, almost like there's some sort of growth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And her eyes are black. I'm, I'm, no, going... I, I'm no doctor, but I um, I I wouldn't have thought a brain tumor would have had that visual and physical yeah. effect yeah. on. Um, so. Yeah, that bit because, just made me think, what's up with her face? Yeah, because what, what I took from that was, she's possessed because her eyes are black, her Ooh. face is drooped and all scarred, and her teeth are yellowed. Yet when Coffee takes the thing out of her, she's got the perfect skin, perfect white teeth, and the perfect clear eyes. Therefore, that's a demon inside her. She's not actually mentally ill, she or Ooh. ill rather. She's possessed by something, because don't they say she's a churchgoer? Yes, they do. So, I'm... Maybe it's just me adding this to but yeah. Anyway, he can't pick this stuff up, uh, so he has to be carried out of the fucking house. Plus, by the way, doesn't the, the warden say she's been acting weird and she's been puking up all day? Yeah. She's been swearing, and I find it beautiful from her voice or something. And he says something like, what the fuck? Yeah, exactly. You're like, why would the sound of someone puking be beautiful? Yeah, oh my God. Anyway, she hands coffee a St. Christopher medallion to, quote, keep him safe. Um, as outside, Brutus tells Paul Coffee has swallowed the cancer and he'll be dead in the morning. Okay then. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I just went, okay then. So they put Coffee in the back of the car, or the back of the truck rather, and drive him, coughing his lungs out, back to the fucking jail, taking hours to get back there. They then take Percy out of the padded cell and threaten to tell everyone everything he's done. I think it was his fucking mouth. Once outside the padded cell, 
Coffee grabs Percy as he knows what he's done. He then passes the cancer into his mouth via the flies. Mm-hmm. And Percy walks over to Wild Bill and fills with bullets. Again, is that a demonic attack? Because Percy's eyes go black as he's pulling the trigger. So Yeah, that, that bit did make me think, you know, if this was a brain tumour, what part, because let's face it, if it was a brain tumour when it was inside the warden's wife, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he wasn't walking about shooting at people yet the minute strong coffee um sends it to Percy but um like he just walks up and shoots Bill and you wonder if ever a tumor has it just been diverted to Percy because he knew that it would trigger the sadistic, murderous part of Percy's mind. Like, let's face it, it has been threatening to boil over since the, the minute he started shouting dead man walking in. Yeah. At, at the start, you know, as it just triggered that part of his brain. And, you know, it's also like he sent a little bit of a... a, a almost like he sent a little bit of a... Almost like he sent it to a direct... Felt it where to go, cause rather than him just shooting the nearest person to him, which would have been one of the other guards, he walks right over and just shoot Bill. No, that's true. That's very true. As he picks up the CGI flies, so I'm thinking, was that the demon Eric spell from it? Because he was completely comatose and completely mm. blanks out, and then ends up in a nut house much later. So Paul walks over to Coffee and asks him why he did it. Coffee just tells him. To punish the bad men. Also, Wild Bill killed the twin girls, which John shows him by holding his hands as sparks fly. Wild Bill uh, painted the little girl's house as a handyman, so he knew the little girls and the father. Therefore, why would the father not ex- suspect him as a killer, not the fucking black guy? Because he's black, he done it. No, it's more the case of Wild Bill. When we see Wild Bill with the family before he killed the little girl, he's so good at manipulating them into thinking he oh weakness and light and only want to help on the farm so one day he can um, I can I'm I'm guessing so one day he can, you know, own his own farm and things like that. Mm. That um, you know, they think he's so harmless that he and he he, he you know, he seems to on the surface, like the little girl, little did I know just how much unfortunately mm. he liked them. Mm. Um, and he seemed like playing about with them on many occasions, so therefore the family had no reason to suspect that, you know, the the person who, the stranger who had been living under their roof, you know, must have been the one to do it. So therefore, you know, the the big scary looking black man cuddling the, the, the child's body must have done it. Also, how long was Wild Bill there for? Because didn't a warden say he'd been in out of jail? He'd been in out of mental asylums for years up and down the state? Yeah. So, so when? They're not given a time frame, not even in the book, as to how long Wild Bill is with the family before he kills them. But I reckon it can't have been any more than a couple of months, so therefore he either just get out of prison or just get out of jail. Mm. Um, out of an asylum and you know just found mm. that targeted them okay then. so how long was it between John Coffey being caught with the girls bodies and putting death row 
and then Wild Bill was caught and put in the same death row prison as John Coffey. That makes no sense there. So yeah. mm, moving on. <clears throat> there's no sense of time frame. It's not I have the to- we're told like you know or three years later John Coffey deaths. Um, what execution date was finally whatever. We don't actually learn how long each person is on death row for. Like, we get that, you know, people like Delacroix and things who are in death row when the movie starts. Must have been there for years to gain the amount of respect and rapport they have with the the three nice guards, where mm. yeah, I don't think Will Bully even made it. I, I, I'd be surprised if he was in there for any longer than about four or five months before. Although, I've seen that. When... Percy breaks uh, Dell's fingers. His fingers are still broke when he gets logicated. How long does his fingers take to heal? It must no, be... Don't forget that he's the 30, him medical Henry. I don't mm. know if they would have had such a thing as like, plastic earth and splint and all sorts to keep them in place. So. Well, you do see he's, he's got a splint around his three fingers and they're all taped up. So, eh, there we are. Now. <clears throat> anyway, moving on. So, later... Percy is taken away in chains for the murder of Wild Bill. He's then carted away and put inside the nut house, the same nut house where he was going to work as a was an orderly, was he was going to yeah. do or something like that? Ironic there. <clears throat> yeah. Next night, Paul was listening to the radio yet again, drinking scotch yet again, and even his wife can't get him out of this funk. So he's been depressed for sixty-five years, was it? Yeah. Uh, he has to deal with the fact that an innocent man is dead mm-hmm. or dying on death row. And he thinks he's going to hell because this is one of, quote, God's miracles. Okay, then. Mm-hmm. So later he talks to Coffee and here he tells him he has days to live. And Coffee tells him he wants... Sorry, uh, Paul asks Coffee what he wants for the last meal. And Coffee says he wants meatloaf and cornbread. With yeah. no priest, because he wants Paul to give him his last rites. Mm. And Paul says to him, I can give you freedom. And Coffey says no, mm-hmm. because he's had enough of this world. He's enough of the, the pain, the torture, the hatred, the spite, the bile, the anger, the frustration. He wants yeah. to be set free. Mm-hmm. So, there we have that one. Paul says to him, I'm afraid of facing God. I may be going to hell. And John tells him, I'm ready. I'm ready to die. Let me go. So he's been alive for eons then, you know? Yeah, well, he doesn't say I'm ready to die. He just say, you know, that word, I'm tired, boy, dog, tired. And no, doesn't he say I'm ready to die? No, he never used to die once in the movie. Ah, okay then. Okay, um, but he does, he does insinuate it when he says, you know, I'm tired, I'm dog, tired, which, you know, anybody watching it, can uh, take that and um, Paul Edgecombe takes that as a handmail. Yeah, I'm ready to die. I've had enough. Like, if you could live in my head for a second, you wouldn't want it for as long as he, you know, for as many years as he's had it. Mm, yeah. I mean, I've written what he wrote down, what he actually says was he's tired of feeling the world's pain, the mm. hatred, the suffering, and all comes with the pain. So he's an empath then. He's not an angel. He's just an overpowered empath that feels the entire world's pain. Which yes, means he should be insane then, not a big, cuddly, friendly giant. He should mm. be 
criminally insane if, he's, if he feels the entire world's pain, misery and anger constantly. Yeah, the hate the miracle of John Coffey is how did he manage to really to remain so calm when, let's face it, um, he really does feel every single bit of hurt and anger that happens anywhere in the world. Mm, okay then, okay then, fair enough then. So why has Delacroix executed John, uh, yeah, John start screaming? But why does he not start screaming when the Native American guy gets executed? I mean, mm. we don't know if because because um, Delacroix's death was so his execution was watched so badly that Delacroix died in pain. Okay then, okay, fair enough then. So it's. Uh, John's last request is to watch a flick, or flicker mm. as he calls it, a movie. Yep. The same movie from the start of the, the movie that starred, starred Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, which is Top yep. Hat from 1935, by the way. Yep. Which is why this movie was meant to be set in 1932, or I'm pretty sure the book is set in 1932. But either way, it was either meant to be set or the book is set in 1932. But, the, but this movie, this scene in... in uh, this movie isn't in the book. All right, okay, okay in the book. So, the book is set in 1932, and the movie is set in 1935. So, they could add that top hat movie scene. Okay, okay, okay. So, it's D Day for John. He tells the guards he'll be fine. He tells them about his last dream that he was in the mouse circus with Dell and the twin girls, and they all had fun, and they all laughed and played games, and it was all happy in heaven. I'm going, oh my God, King, can you lap this on any fucking harder? I mean, we get it. You're trying to have a weepy here, but mm. I'm sorry, it's not working on me. No. I mean, Jesus Christ. So John is afraid of the people as he feels their hatred and disgusts him. So Paul tells him to feel free, to feel the respect and the love the guards have for him. And I'm going, really, King? Ah, Jesus, jinkies. Mm. So all the guards start to cry as are tying John down. In fact, Paul tells him to wipe their tears before they stand up. Paul yeah. then gives him his last rites. He then asks, can he not be put in the dark because he's afraid of the dark? As Paul puts the finishing touches, John says, I'm in heaven. As sparks fly, tears fall from the guard's eyes. John is now free and can return to heaven as an innocent human being or innocent soul. Uh, with that, the body's laid to rest, and Paul returns to Christopher Meadow around his neck. I was going, really, King? You expected me to, to boohoo at this bit? No! Yeah, I did, though, but, I, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm just too overly sensitive sometimes for movies, but I, I did, I found that whole bit really moving, because these three men uh, know that they are executing an innocent man, and that he like they gave John Coffey the the chance to be free. They they said to him, you know, put that in layman terms. They said to him, you know, we could kid on you over powder and escape. You could go live somewhere and be. And he was like, no, just just kill me. I want to be. I want to be free from my own mind. So yeah, he wants to be free from the pain, the, the pain, and hatred of the world. Yeah, so fair enough. Yeah. Shouldn't the yeah. warden have pardoned him and put him on in the the chain gang sort of thing instead of electrocuting But moving on, so it cuts back to old Paul in 1999 as he finishes the story to Elaine. He says he quit the next day. So did Brutus and the other guards. Mm-hmm. They went to a was it a Boston home or somewhere. I went to yeah. 
as outside the rain has now stopped and the sun is now shining. I'm going really king. You actually had the sun shining or fucking rainbow showing up for crying out loud. I'm sorry, but this ending, I was done with this movie by this. Uh, I was going, there's 40 minutes left. Fuck you, you king. What got me to see on the execution of John Coffey when the little girl's uh, father shouts, um, Burn and Twice Boy? Mm. Uh, yeah, even in the 30s, like the the public weren't allowed to shout, you know, anything to the. They were always a sense of, you know, respect. They were about to carry out their sentence, so I have a little bit of decorum. Yeah, wasn't so also. They wouldn't have been allowed to shout, they would have been told to get out. Yeah, wasn't it also like a piece of glass or some sort of wall between the, the prisoner and the people in case the prisoner like spat something at them sort of thing? So, mm. uh, I'm not sure if that was in the 30s. I know at some point in history there wasn't. So, you know, the, mm. you know, the, the family of whoever you kill or that literally could have, they wanted to spit on you just before you died, which is mm. a bit... She had a bit, you know, what a way Much. to make human, yeah, what a way to dehumanise a person, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, one thing I found slightly funny was when Coffee's getting electrocuted behind Tom Hanks, there's an explosion and Tom Hanks jumps out of his skin. That yeah. broke the sort of boohooness for it for me. I'm going, really? Yeah. They couldn't the, have told... The, 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 the light explodes and it makes like yeah. a halo round him which to me indicated so does that mean that because for me I my initial thought was okay so does that suggest that in a way that um Paul has now got the gift that John had? Possibly yes yes because later on Paul takes Elaine to the cabin in the woods where Mr Jingles is still alive in a cigar box 64 yeah. years later yeah. biggest piece of bullshit ever i've wrote in here who the fuck wrote this crap oh. i mean paul explains he's had a small piece of john coffee's power and he's over 108 years old mm. cut to Lynn's funeral in her coffin as paul continues he'll live forever as an old man he's cursed to live alone as yeah. he will not die however he may become an angel yeah, and he sees that as he, you know, he sees that as, in a way, his curse. For yeah, his curse, as he, yeah. As he calls it, kill him when a god miracle. And it's like, you know, he, he doesn't even know if he will eventually die. It's just a case of if, not when. Mm, mm, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. then they say he's buried his friends, his wife, and his child, and he's yeah, been alone but- for decades yeah he's watched everyone he's ever loved die which is why she's why although he's perfectly able to independent enough to live alone he has probably got himself you know put into a care home for one way or another just because you know let's face it he wants the company yeah and who's paying for that i have to save me anyway so it cuts back to young paul fighting mr jingles in the padded cell and then it cuts to Mr. Jingles finally dying in a cigar box as credits mercilessly roll. Wow, this is way too long. I'm going to cut this by at least an hour. <laughs> this is just drags. This ending killed its stone dead for me. Stephen King can't write fucking endings to save his life. I'm sorry, the acting is fantastic. The story was good, but parried to all fuck. I'm going to cut up stored it down by 25 minutes but that ending dragged on and on and i'm like 
enough already. End this. This should not have been three min- three hours and fucking twelve minutes long. This should have been two hours tops, two and a half hours tops. Mm. But like I says, this ending just killed it stone dead for me. There was no emotion by the end of it. I was like, I'm done with this movie. I'm just finished. Nothing, you know. Yeah. So, what do you I, say about this thing? Like, like yeah. I, I agree what you say. Like the ending, uh, yeah, it almost not even it doesn't even feel like an afterthought. It feels like he's just kind of I don't know maybe maybe deadline for publishing for getting it to the editor for coming up or something. But it literally feels unfinished. Like he he didn't really have to show that Paul outlived that woman we could have gathered that if he's 108 and he said he's outlived everyone he ever loved we could have gathered like we're not all you know we don't all need to be spoon-fed ideas we could have gathered that he was more likely going to outlive her he didn't need to show that but there could have been something more substantial with that and with Mm. the effect um john coffee's existence and death had on him as an as an old man, not just you know, yeah, I'm in a almost a care I'm in a I'm in a care home now, and uh, the the mouse is still alive, mm. uh, and I'm gonna you know I'm gonna outlive everyone in here, you know. But it's not to take anything away from the movie, like you see this, you know, the acting is fantastic throughout this movie. Mm. I can't yes. fault it at all. Neither can you know. And this movie does give us some genuine moments that your impact too greatly, especially if you've not seen this movie in a while. Um, or if it's your first time movie, then uh, first time watching it, then in that case I'm totally jealous because I'd love to be able to go back and watch this for the very first time all over again. But so although it gives us some great moments that really hit you hard, um, they're not all surrounded by John Coffey. Like the moments that stand out for me in this movie, and there are only two, so I'll make them very brief. They also they both surround Delacroix. Like his friendship with that little mouse is so heartwarming to see. Like in this place where death is literally hangs over the the heads of them all, the guards and the prisoner. Like the the one little spark of like life. Because let's face it, they're never going to execute unless they do what Percy did and stand on them. They're not really going to execute a mouse, you know. Mm. But his his death, his his botched execution. Just the minute his head burst into flames, I, I'm off. I'm crying. I'm like, I'm like, that is horrible. What a horrible thing to do to a person. But mm. you know, I, I, like, like I briefly said earlier, you know, this story, this this film for me is like a tale of humanity, and you know, the good and the bad in humanity, and we do see it through the lives and and the experiences of the characters with me and it just so happened to be set in a prison you know mm. so all in all you know it, it's quite deceiving this movie because like you said it's three hours long um but we see when i watch it i don't feel like three hours have passed i'm like i'm always like oh this movie's only like two and a bit hours long it'll be fine and then you look at your clock and you're like how's three hours gone i was only watching so it's quite deceiving because you know it's paced uh, it feels like it's slowly paced yes uh, you can again because uh, especially again it travel times travel so fastly that no no no, no i'm sorry no 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 um when percy shoots wild bill 
There's mm. 45 minutes left on the clock. I'm going, mm. you have got to be fucking shitting me. And that's when I was done with this movie. I'm going, no, you're not going to drag us up for another 50 fucking minutes. And then there's the whole bit where, oh, boss, let me watch a, flick, a flicky movie and let me have this and let me have that. I'm going, Jesus, can we get on with the fucking thing? Just kill the guy and put me in misery for fuck's sake. I mean, enough of this trying to yeah. milk the emotion or trying to milk the... The weepingness because it's not working. You have failed miserably. When I watched this earlier and got to the part where um where person shot Bill, I was like, wait, are we two minutes? Are we? Have I been watching this for two for like two and a half hours already? Like, come on, this better hurry up and finish. I've got to write about this now. Mm. Um, you know, so for for I think it depends on who's watching it. For but for me, I think the pacing of it. Is, deceiving because you do think that it's slow paced in parts uh, and you do think that it's a lot shorter than what it eventually turns it out to be you know mm. and for me it's one of the Stephen King books that travels from book to screen almost effortlessly the whole I can only name about another two that do so you know Shawshank Redemption from the book to the movie is fantastic they're like chalk and cheese that some um, very little skipped out. And the same with Misery. I've only ever seen Misery a handful of times, but I've read the book more times mm. than I care to admit. And again, they're like, you know, it's like this. It goes from book paper to screen perfectly, where some, like, you know, the myth don't. Mm, exactly. So, although one thing I've always said to you, I've read this online. There's a theory going around that the mouse died because Paul gave up his last inch of hope, last ounce of hope, when Elaine died, because Elaine was his new girlfriend sort of thing. Yeah. And that's how the mouse died, because he got up his last stitch of hope. Therefore, he's now an empty vessel, just waiting for death to take him. But as he says, I might be another two decades before death takes me, because I have to repent for what I did. Mm. I now have this... John Coffey's immortal power inside of me, as this little mouse did also, but the mouse is now dead. Therefore, he's now an empty shell, just an empty vessel floating around for another 15, 20 years, sort of thing. Yeah. And I'm thinking, that's an interesting way of putting it. Was the mouse John's, no John's, um, Paul's last stitch of happiness, last stitch of hope, yeah. last stitch of humanity, and he's now just an empty, hollow, soulless person now? I'm not sure yeah. I didn't look into that part of the movie too deeply. I just assumed that by the end, you know, that when the mouse, you know, died, that that's almost the acknowledgement to the viewer that, um, you know, Paul won't live forever. He will eventually die. It's just who knows when. Mm, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Yeah, it's almost, almost like that. Almost like that, um, that mousy death is the verification for the audience, if not for Paul, because he doesn't see the mouse die. That mm. you know, Paul won't mm. live forever. He his time will come. Or is it was the way I took it was the mouse and Paul died at the exact same time. You know, because the two were connected by uh, John Coffey's power. By John Coffey, which would make sense if it took one. 65 years later, what to say 
But then they weren't really, they didn't really, they didn't gain John power at the same time. Like the, no, that's true. The mouth caught the caught it off. Um, caught the power off John when John held him during Delacroix execution. Mm, um, mm. Paul got it the minute he executed John. No, that's true. So, that's very true. That's very you true. know. Also, another thing that somebody pointed out online, they um, there's a dropped line that. Young Paul, sorry, old Paul said he had a thirty-five-year-old son when mm. he was still in the in the prison yeah. as a war as a, which means that if he was forty-four, he was what nine when he had a child. Nine, uh, oh, good you point. Know? Ah, no, because by the end of the movie, Bonnie, I think that old woman was called Elaine. Said, yeah, sorry, Elaine said to him, um, like the numbers don't add up if you were. If you were 45 then, like, your son can't have been... If you were in your 40s, your son can't have been in your 30. And then he mm. said, like, no, he, he he fiddled the numbers, basically, to make so his age would work out in about half. And then he said, no, I'm actually... And then he tells her if real age. And she was like, yeah, I'd figured that out. Like, And that's when he says, you know, I don't know how long now he's like, my curse is to live forever because I killed... John Coffey almost, and then obviously by the end it's kind of validated that he won't actually get the mouth died. So, you know, depending how far between the mouth getting the immortality, mm. uh, the immortality, you know, power and Paul getting it, you know, he could have, you know, a couple of years or a couple of months. Mm, exactly. exactly. Although, there's one piece of bullshit I picked up on. When the first introduce Wild Bill... Uh, they say, oh, he thinks he's Billy the Kid, and mm-hmm. he spews out a whole Billy Kid's history thing. And Bruce, Bruce Sir Brute says to, to Paul, oh, my God, that was over 20 years ago. No, it wasn't. Billy the Kid died in 1869. Yeah, because he was shot by a sheriff. Yes, so that would have been 20 years ago. That would have been yeah. fucking, God, nearly 100 years earlier. So yeah, exactly. somebody fucked up their timeline there. Somebody doesn't know the basic, um, basic history. Mm, mm. Anyway, so let's score us out of five. One being utter dog shit and five being great. I was going to give this a two out of five because the ending kills it for me. But this is a new year and I'm feeling generous. I'm going to give it a three. You know? Well, we we are looking hopeful for in, in the 2021, aren't we? Mm. Um, but I am going to give this a... I'm going to give it a four because I like Stephen King and I'm a bit biased when it comes to Stephen King. But I like the, I really like the movie. This for me is one of my favourite Tom Hanks movie. Um, so yeah, the ending is a bit, you know, it could have done with some work, but it's not that bad. It doesn't ruin the whole overall of the, the the rest of the movie. Mm. Um, to, to score it down for the end, and you'd have to score it down for the beginning because it's just a cheesy and mismatch and how it gets into the main crux of the movie. Yeah, true. Although I was annoyed. I wanted person to have a bigger competence than spending this wee days at Mental Institute because we're yeah, really dead for about a year or two or something like that, I mean, for crying out loud. Yeah, it does take it a bit. It does, you know, it plays on the whole irony that he ended up being admitted mm. to we can what, but yeah, every time I watch this movie, I want to see Percy and old Sparky. 
Mm, exactly. Yes, 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 yes. I so want to see Paul put that, or even Bert, because Bert couldn't stand him, put mm. that sponge on his head and tell him, you know, electricity will now be passed through your body until you're dead. I'm like, mm. I'm mm. really, every time and every time I'm left disappointed because I know it never happens. And I'm like, oh. Yeah, I was thinking to myself, wasn't the life expectancy in a mental institute or asylum even in the 30s about a year, a year and a half tops? Well, no, there were some people that were unfortunately committed to them for decades, but I suppose mm. it depends what was wrong with you and what experiments they tried mm, true, and maybe true. failed on you. True, okay then, okay. Anyway, let's wrap this one up then, shall we? So don't forget to like, share, comment and subscribe. You can also follow us on Twitter at 2GeeksPod. Follow us on Facebook and indeed Instagram on 2GeeksTalkMovies. You can follow me on Twitter at Here's Johnny's a Pod, And you can follow Joanne on Twitter at 2GeeksJoanne. Right to then. I also experiment for you. As the next episode is episode 10, we're going to do a recorded live watch-along which will be my pick, which is going to be a piece of absolute cinematic trash known as Mortal Kombat. So get over here and finish <laughs> this with us. Alice says it will be recorded live with our live reactions to this, this movie so you can watch along with us. Thank God you never picked anything scary because all the other stuff was ahead with me going, ah, what the <laughs> I'm going, sorry, I missed that. I had to look away for 20 minutes. <laughs> mm, mm. So hopefully this works out and it doesn't go all to shit. But that should be, was it next week or the following week when we're doing this thing? Oh, it's up to you. It's normally it's normally fortnightly. Yeah, so, so we're following week then. You're your own one. Okay then, okay then. Anyway, uh, goodbye. And I'm off to have some meatloaf and cornbread. <laughs> Bye. Bye, boss. <laughs>